I blame Dom Monahan. Seriously, <laughs> holy crap. Those of you who we give him so us- much shit. It's not Dom, literally, the person. It's his his aura, his essence, or something that just makes that doesn't make it a lot better, man. It's not him, the person. It's just who he is. (laughs) (laughs) Just who he is. With what you've said. Um. Okay. We're gonna. My stream is experiencing minor issues. No shit, slobs. Thanks for letting me know. Love you. Um. So it was almost like I was never even gone. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, We mostly were just talking about how funny it was that, of course, you got pulled away right as your question came up. And I was like, yeah, this is what did I expect once I didn't do formal like introductions? Of course, you were going to get pulled away on your first question. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, we we mainly just uh, took the opportunity to fix some uh, stream problems. So hopefully this is better. Um, Chat can let us know. Domlins. Yes, I agree. Domlins is Domlins. good. <laughs> and and also, but also, yes, please, no, no more. It was so bad last week. I, like, die inside a little bit every time these issues hit us. Um, but yes, Rachel, how did you start DMing? Um, well, I played a little bit of D&D in high school with a boyfriend who was an absolute garbage DM. Just like, <laughs> we're still friends to this day. But he was absolutely terrible and so we played some and then i didn't play again uh until i moved to colorado after i was 30 and andy ran a one shot for me and my husband and um and then so i felt a little bit more comfortable with it and elise introduced me to critical role uh, which she told me about for a really long time, and I was like, "What? Why the fuck do I want to watch people play Dungeons and Dragons? I don't have time for this shit, Elise. I'm in grad school." Mm-hmm. Uh, and Absolutely. so, I know we're all in grad school. We're I get all it. in grad school. <laughs> um, and I finally started watching and became so into it. And then at my school, there had been there had been a Dungeons and Dragons club for some of the older kids and it had stopped and when some of the kids found out that i also knew about dungeons and dragons they were basically like you need to run a club and i was like i know literally nothing about dming and they were like we're children who cares and i was like valid point (laughs) so (laughs) valid um, you don't matter right (laughs) that's exactly what i meant yeah Thanks. So, um, so yeah, so I just started a club and learned as I went. And I've pretty much only ever DM'd uh, D&D, but I like playing in other systems, but I've only ever run campaigns in that. Nice. So, I think you kind of have, uh, maybe Elise even touched on this a little bit. What was your biggest challenge when you were first GMing or DMing? I guess for Elise, maybe it was the eight people. Too many people. Well, also too many people, but also it was like, it was just a hodgepodge of like my closest friends, my brother, right? And that was great, but we all live in like different time zones, different places. So it was Uh. online. It was too many people. It was lots of time zones, you know? And so I think the combination of all of that, like the campaign, it didn't like crash and burn. It just didn't like catch the kind of momentum that like an in-person game, especially I think has the potential to when you're a beginning Mm -hmm. like DM, I think. Um, And even like- It's the snacks. 
<laughs> yeah, this, I mean, the snacks help. And, like, the the feeling of, like, that, like, the way that, like, rolling a natural 20 feels at a table of your close friends when you're starting. I'm not talking about, like, down the line. Because I get fucking psyched about nat 20s no matter what, you know? But, like, <laughs> um, when you're starting off, like, I think that um, for, like, a bunch of new players, all, like, figuring out roll 20 at the first time, all figuring out the rules for the first time, all playing, like, maybe their first, maybe their second character ever, right? It was just, like... It was too much. Um, so for me, I think for sure that first campaign, that was the the biggest problem. For like the first campaign that I like ran through like more than that though, that was like an in-person campaign that we played um, with like four, I had four players, so much more reasonable size. <laughs> um, and that one, I think my biggest mistake, the biggest, the hardest thing that, uh, was I didn't really fully realize how much I needed to trim down NPCs, um, and not in like a don't have any NPCs way, but in like the story that I wrote, there were like lots of groups of people acting together. And it was like, oh, when we converge, I'm playing like 28 people. That's not a good plan. <laughs> um, and so like kind of like realizing in retrospect, like, oh God, like keep the NPC list who's going to like matter and like know each other and come into like you know, any depending on how you build your story, that for me was like a big rookie error of like, oh God, I have to get rid of some of these NPCs. Like they can't just always have my character or four of them hanging around, right? Like it has to be their story. So my dog, Tanya. Oh, I thought you said my dog Tanya. And I was like, that is not your dog. <laughs> no, not Tanya. Hi, I am talking about you. Yeah, she's making a lot of noise right off right <laughs> off to the side of me. So um, I would say my biggest challenge was knowing what the heck to actually do. So knowing like coming up with a story you know, and making it so that it's not just you walk into a tavern, there's a fight. You go over here, there's a fight. You know what I mean? Like actually trying to come up with uh, stories and characters that they can interact with and things that will actually drive them and not just like my very first uh, uh, campaign, like campaign was literally just a battle arena because I was like, I don't know, you're just fight. But, like, that only holds you for so long. No story, you know, you just fight. Yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, there was a little bit of a story, yeah. but we didn't really get there. Um, but it's hard to just... It's hard to 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 come up with a, with a storyline and a character and things like that. And that's why, like, especially if you're just starting out utilizing pre-written things or at least looking through them and taking that for yourself and like you can always change it like you could be like oh i'm gonna take this guide but like change a lot of these kinds of things to fit better but like do you don't like i have learned you don't need to start everything from scratch it is okay to take certain resources and use them as you're learning things because that can be overwhelming makes sense yeah yeah i'm trying to think um, what struggles i had when i kind of first started jamming um i i think it was i I think it was i i had a hard time at first learning learning like what my players wanted from the the campaign and what and how then can i provide that for sort of fun experience 
Um, cause my, my very, very first GMing campaign was entirely improv. I prepared absolutely nothing for it. It, it, it was only fights and whatever happens happens and complete utter sandbox. Um, and, and we had a really good time with it. And, uh, one of my players later then was kind of like, yeah, but I wish there was like a story. I wish there was a thread between all of these fights we get into. And I was like, I had never considered that before. That sounds fun. <laughs> Should definitely do that. So like, so so finding finding out, yeah, like what kind of game the people want to play and everyone wants to do is is hard because you you are so focused as a first time DM a lot of times in. I need to bulldoze my way through what I think needs to happen, whatever that is. And you, you lose some of the magic of just cool. Let's all work together to come up with something that is really scary because I have no idea what it is. Yeah. I think so that was, yeah. I think kind of echoing my- a little bit of that from both, um, actually from what I've heard from everyone, I think early on, the thing that I struggled with the most was, a little bit of that element of trusting the players and letting them drive that. But I think that a big part of that was also learning to trust myself, like learning to trust that I could improv it. And also the, and given that, you know, I also did want this to have some element of sort of like some of the point of this was to help people who might be starting out with it. Um, One of the things that I did was I sort of turned it around and tried to think of, cause I'd played by that. I'm like, well, do I notice if Andy or another DM is feeling... No, not really. Does it affect my enjoyment of the game? No, not really. And so it got to this point of, I'm like, oh, okay. I I do significantly tend to prep stuff out, but they're, they're bullet points. It's, hey, there are these people in a town. If it's something like a puzzle or a really important interaction, maybe I do jot down like a, hey, this angle, or if you have this piece of evidence, it's going to be really effective. If you're just kind of trying to appeal to the goodness of their heart, it's not going to work real well. But with just learning to be like, without going all the way to this is just a sandbox, because I often start to lose interest, like as a player, if I hit that level, but just like a, hey, here's a thread, and it's taking you to this place, and here are these other things you can do. Maybe don't set the entire town on fire. Okay, thanks. But, you know, outside of that, yeah. You want to zero in on these people? Absolutely. I can, I'll make some stuff up and we can build some stuff from there and it'll all be fine. And so that, that's, that's sort of the biggest thing that I would say was just that. Not even so much my players, because I have really great players. I was lucky with that. But trusting myself. And I would also say that that would be very different if I'd like first DM for a bunch of murder hobos or something like that. That would be a very different dynamic. I'm not saying like, yeah, no, if it's going bad, you should be trusting your players more. No, the third time that they (laughs) just like set the entire town and the mayor and like all the animals and everything on fire in an attempt to get all the gold from the town. Maybe the players are the problem, but, (laughs) um, but, but yeah, that, that just, that sense of like, it's going to be okay. It's all people have fun. Once the dice start rolling, once you're doing stuff, once you're just trying to figure out, Oh crap, how do we talk to this person? most of the other stuff drops away yeah i also noticed i i had a hard time at first trusting the game itself even Mm. because i i was not confident in my balancing of encounters and 
not confident in oh man can my players even beat this guy or like every time a villain got a crit hit on them i'd like oh no well i need to make him run away because they're he's gonna murder everyone um but trusting kind of the balance and the randomness of the game is again hard and, and it's definitely not something i did as a new player but like I like uh, if you watch some more streams, I, I've started to just roll everything in front of the players now, because because I, I, I'm not changing any dice rolls, I'm not keeping anything back, and it's it's I'm having a lot of fun with it. Again, that's not something I'm saying everyone needs to do. It's just I'm personally having a ton of fun with it, and um, the game is a balanced game. Um, in, in a lot of aspects of it. And and I also play with really, really good people who play the game well. Um, so I can be afforded to do stuff like that. But yeah, I was just kind of... I do think that D&D, uh, like 5e as a system, there is a role for almost everything, right? Like I think about yeah. when, and again, like Critical Role is one of my biggest references, so I hope it's fine with everyone that I reference it. But like when there's like a point, there's like someone falls in lava and Matt has to be like, on right. what page do I find yeah. the lava burning damage? And Chris Perkins happened to be yeah. there and he was like, I think it's on page 87. And like they look it up and there it is. Like there's a rule for what happens when you fall in lava. And I think that that is like uh, one of the things that both makes, well, first of all, it's the thing that sets D&D 5e apart from other systems, right? Is that like most other systems do not have a rule for everything the way that 5e does. Um, And as a GM, that's both a blessing and a curse, right? Because you can rely on that. You can be like, okay, someone fell in lava. I don't have to just decide what that means, right? I can look it up. Versus, like, inspire if someone falls in fucking lava, I have to decide what that means, right? And Sounds uh, like a lot of body stress. I mean, like, is that body or blood <laughs> stress? Because I feel like there's going to be plenty of blood. Oh, yeah, a lot of blood, blood stress. Blood, yeah. is, blood, blood is, is body. body. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. I also feel like some mind stress. stress would apply. It's everything stress. It's just immediate All things. You're on Silver fire. is stressed because your money is on fucking fire <laughs> all of it's on fire um, What's the melting yeah. point of silver no i'm kidding <laughs> and so i guess um i think that that's a really interesting point because it gets to one of the other questions i think maybe from the thing of like what do you do v- with like rule of cool versus like rules lawyers right and uh and, and we don't have to get into that like right now but it's it's an interesting point that like in other systems besides 5e you don't have to ask that question because there isn't a rule for everything that your players can be like but if you cross reference page 17 and page 85 you can see that the spell casting rules are inconsistent with bubble you know and that's cool like i don't mind some of that like i think it's Mm -hmm. kind of cool to like kind of exploit the system to get what you want, but also the DM being able to be like, but you forgot rules, you know, whatever on page 80, you know, and it's just like that kind of fun back and forth, but it's also not everyone's play style. So. Yeah. I'm kind of linked to this. Uh, What GMing or DMing skill did you must have to work on when you were starting out? Uh, Mine was trust. Yeah. Uh, Trusting the game and, and trusting myself, like Galway was saying, um, uh, so mine was pretty quick here. Yeah, it was, it was, I, when I first started out, I, I, that bulldoze effect of trying to just force what I think sh- would be fun to happen just to happen and not letting the randomness or the other authors of this story have much of a say. 
um, that was the thing that I, 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 as soon as I recognized that in my own play style, I wanted to work on something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that actually kind of similarly or harkening back to something Elise said, the thing that I probably had to work on the most besides that trust issue was, um, simplifying. Because I would have this like, hey, there's these 17 people and this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about this like a writer. And those are all really cool and really fun. But for the love of Christ, nothing can hinge on them because these people are, despite everything in this town, going to be like, go to the inn, fall asleep, get up, go to the store, fucking leave. And it's like, okay, the world has to keep rolling with that. So... So, so that that sense of like trusting them, but also just like, yeah, okay, maybe it's it's weird because it's almost the not quite the the yeah bulldoze more, but being like, if there's something really important, I kind of probably better have someone screaming this at the players, like this is really important because they're not yeah. necessarily going to go find that person. I feel like it's inevitable that something that feels <laughs> obvious to a GM. To players is like so sometimes hard to pick up on like yeah, to me like so i write funny. something and i'm like oh yeah they'll get this no problem and then like three sessions yeah. later i'm like they have no fucking clue well in the exact opposite <laughs> too is, of like yeah of like i you know i think in one of the diamond dragons i very purposefully was like yep you questioned the guard he didn't say anything but this one line you questioned him for a couple hours and then let's start the game and then my my you know, rightly so. I, I get I totally get it. The players are then like, "Yeah, but did I question him like this? What about <laughs> this?" And then spent another hour questioning this guard who never gave up anything but that one line again. Uh, and I was, you know, yeah, it's it's funny how like the emphasis you sort of want on things isn't recognized, and emphasis that you didn't even think about or you thought would just be glossed over is entirely emphasized, like. Critical roles chair <laughs> chair in the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's but I love that too. I, I also it's a fun part of the game. Right. I I would say for me, and this could just be because I don't have any background in any of these kinds of things, it has to do with improv and also planning. So Weirdly enough, the two ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are, mm-hmm. I, I almost did this, and that's not what I should be doing, so it's fine. Just here. Okay. I was doing... It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Is it fine? Tell us again. I'm not trying. <laughs> um, so, at the two ends of the spectrum, you know, you have planning, and where I would just be like, yeah, they go there, and here's this NPC. And I wouldn't, like flesh out the character at all but then i would get to it and i'd be like oh i don't know how to improv this like hi you know like i didn't actually know how to actually give him a personality so you know i think for me it was really finding that balance of at least understanding who the npc was and not just writing down like they meet a messenger or something but like giving him a little personality and understanding how he's going to be interacting with them and then also being able to like utilize that planning of personality and improv in a way that seems like it fits in with whatever it is i'm trying to do i would say that was probably like one of the skills i needed to work on the most yeah Yeah. i think um that is one place where when i've tried to do that for some other npcs and like minor npcs like shopkeeps there can be fun just like auto-generated prompts that i like being like hey i'm gonna roll 
for the shopkeeps in this town who have no further information or anything else. But just, I'm going to roll this in, like, what's some of the fun little prompts. And, like, again, going back to uh, Tear Beyond the Doors, th- that one shopkeep who was cursed so that he could neither see nor hear dwarves, <laughs> that was oh, just that a was, random yeah, roll. Really cool. But you all <laughs> yeah. had fun with it. And, and at the same time, like, all it said was, is cursed, cannot see or hear dwarves. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to... St- like, okay, they've actually interacted with this. I'm going to spin this story, and, like, I pretty quickly am like, oh, okay, it actually hooks into something. If yeah. Sonny's to-do list had actually demanded that you all go fucking fix that, I then had a thing for it. And it was like, but that's a lot of fun. And, and it and it helps sometimes when you're trying to do it for more than, uh, he's a shopkeeper? Uh, fuck. <laughs> uh, and I mean, and it's also the same rule of, I have just... I'm not sure if I trust in my improv more or I've developed my improv more, but I have come to accept as a truism that there's like a, an equivalent of like um, Murphy's law of just the players will always ask for the name of the one NPC that you did not name. You could have come up with names <laughs> right. for everyone oh, else. Of, yeah. And they're going to be like, and what's your name, sir? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Oh my god, yes. I've, it's become like a joke, right? Because yeah. Andrew, who plays Hennis and Spire, is my DM in a campaign uh, that we've been playing for a while now. And it's just like, you know, we would do that to him all the time. We, uh, especially my character, like, just wanted to know everyone's name and be like, what's your name? And like, he was always just like, god damn it. And so now it feels like, you know, retribution, justice is being served with, you know, and what's what's that person's name? And it's just like, oh, I... I had for D&D a list of <clears throat> names broken down by like race and gender um, from the handbook of like names for people. And you just cross mm-hmm. them out as you use them um, so that you, you know, when you're put in that situation, but I don't have anything like that for Spire. And I feel like maybe it's time to have that. <laughs> maybe it's time. Maybe we recognize a pattern here. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Well, and also, and also remembering names that you've already named. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Writing down. I have, I have currently, that's one of the things I'm struggling with sometimes is remembering because I, I, I think I do a decent job of adding a lot of detail to stuff. And then rightly so my players are asking me like, Oh, what was the detail that we mentioned four episodes ago about this thing? And I'm like, I don't I, I fucking, <laughs> you think i was paying attention to this shit you just made me say something on stream so i said something yeah yeah which which honestly is funny because in homebrew games that's not a big deal just make up a new detail in in when you're doing a podcast and there's kind of a record of it it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse because i can now go back and listen to that podcast to see what i said but if i get wrong there's also then a record of wait a second he was he you know this person is is was a totally different race two episodes ago and stuff so I, it's weird yeah. i i also and this is this is one that's a, a little bit of behind the scenes for uh fates of Rin and very minor spoilers um but minor spoilers for i think something in the first season we hit uh, there's a scene in there where uh speaking of names uh Vimeris is talking to a, another character and they keep floating the name corin and it's obviously meant to be very important. And like Andy is yeah. evincing this gravitas and these reactions. And I'm sitting there because that was, that was another name for charity in my backstory. And I'm like, do I recognize that name? 
And he's like, um, yeah, give me a history roll, I guess. I'm like, this feels weird. This feels weird. I'm a fucking amnesiac. I, you shouldn't just be like, I guess give me a history roll. And he rolls and he's like, no, you don't reckon. And I think it's like after stream, I'm like, you do remember, like, that was Charity's yeah. name. And, you're, and I just remember Andy going, oh, fuck. No, we need to change that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's fine. At least I wasn't crazy because I just remember being like, no, no, seriously, this doesn't ring any bell. Yeah, you told me that like two weeks before that episode too, or something like that. It wasn't even that long. <laughs> it was like I just needed a name, and I'm like, for some reason, Corin's in my head, so we'll do that. <laughs> and it was just that amazing. Yeah, and it was just this amazing moment. I'm like, really? Doesn't? Yeah, it's funny. I don't know why is this happening like this. So, uh, sort of in this, we've all struggled with stuff. What piece of advice would you give to someone starting out GMing or DMing? Since a lot of people are picking it up in this yeah time of covid uh give yourself a break uh you don't have to know all the rules you don't have to be uh, amazing at coming up with new stuff if you name your npcs dave and john and Susie, that's fine that's okay um Mm -hmm. you know uh, uh don't don't try to put all of the weight of what's possible in this game on you at the very beginning this is a game where you get better at it as you go. So so totally give yourself a break. You're you're fine. Don't worry about trying to be Matt Mercer. Don't worry about trying to be anyone on Helpful Goat. Like we've all been doing this a long time. Just be you. Just have fun and give yourself a break. Yeah. Along those lines, <clears throat> um, like the the like players don't mind when you don't know something right like i think that's been one of the like things like in the the like cultural theory word the sense of the word performing like performing gm uh f- for spire is like i think good in a lot of ways to do like the i'm learning the system on stream like together and there's an audience and there are players who don't know the system and like everybody has to see me be like oh, i don't know i'm gonna look up that rule you know um and like that's just i think i think really important of just being like just fly with it just be okay with like not knowing and looking it up and making a ruling without knowing the actual rules like it just that's how the game goes right like just make a ruling and move on and then if you want to be like oh i looked it up and i found out this then you can use that going forward or you just have a house rule now you know like that's a convenient thing a piece another piece of advice and this will be my only other thing (laughs) is um that I really, really loved from watching GM tips on like geek and sundry when I was starting out. Um, so there's a tip, watch GM tips on geek and sundry, great series. Um, but one of the best ones was you're not writing a book, right? If you want to tell, if you want to tell your own story, just go write a book. And like, if you want to tell a cooperative co-authored adventure with your players where like they have as much a hand in what happens as you do, then play D&D or play, you know, some TTRPG. And it's, that was a really helpful thing for me of like being like, oh yeah, like I don't have to actually know where this is going. I don't have to know everything about what's going to happen because the four people at my table, when I sit down with them, are making it up with me as I go. And and that kind of collaborative nature of D&D or of other TTRPGs um, is what separates this genre, right, from mm-hmm. 
a lot of other types of genres, including stage performances, uh, including improv, right? Because it's not fully improv, um, including writing a book um, or, you know, recording something pre-scripted is that we don't know where it's going to end up. And that's, and as the GM, you have to like, just kind of accept, like, I don't know where this is going to end up either. Yeah. I would agree with all of that advice. I said similar things about what Andy said about just not, um, don't worry if you don't know things you're learning on the other goat's eye view that I did. And just to, I mean, and Elise told me that exact advice when I was starting out DMing. <laughs> so, uh, and that was helpful. Um, I would also just reiterate what I said a little bit earlier, which is just don't hesitate to use other people's stories and other people's ideas. Like for your first time, like maybe you have a great story and maybe you really want to play that out and that's fine. That's great. But like go on Google. Like, first of all, you can like actually purchase you know, if you're doing D&D, &D, there's like actual books you can purchase that have like fully laid out stories and characters and stuff. And that's a really great place to start if you want to go that way, because it's like everything is laid out exactly. And it really kind of helps guide you along that. But there's also free ones online or ones that you could buy for a couple bucks or things like that that come with maps and they come with uh, character names already and all those kinds of things. And it just like it's a good place to start where it's okay if you don't have an amazing story in your head right off the bat. Maybe you need to play through some other people's stories and then that can like bring about that idea for you. Or like on the Adventure Zone in the first season, Griffin McElroy literally used the the Lost Minds of Fandelver to start. And like mm -hmm. that was the entire like first arc was started with that. And then he came up with this entire story that then like you know spawned from that that was totally different from the book. So you can like grab some kind of work that like helps you to start out and then you can think, okay, great. Now I have all these ideas for where I can send them and what I can do. So just don't, you don't need to recreate the wheel, you know? Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I, 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 I think a lot of people kind of see that as a very overwhelming hurdle to get into D and D is that idea of the story itself. And Richie said it so well. Uh, I, 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 I totally agree. I believe, honestly, I believe there are no new stories anyway. <laughs> right. We've, we've already got them all. There are just variations on a theme. There are, you know, there are motifs that are going to be brought up constantly over and over again. You know, avatar was fern gully and dances with wolves. And, you know, <laughs> that's whatever, that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's going to, it's going to happen. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid of that. Yeah. And I think that the, the two things that I would say from, my own experience and the thing that I kind of got to, and it's interesting because again, I feel like it, it pulls elements and just phrases that a lot of you have used is thinking about being performing GM DM. It took me a while to get comfortable with where I've ended up in my philosophy of what is good tabletop. What is good D and D what is, and, and I've said this on stream before in my definition of it, it is any session in which the GM and the players walk away having had fun. The, these games are fun. I'm not going to lie. Like These games are inherently fun. And I don't mean this as, it's not that high a hurdle, so if you've screwed up, like, damn, you've screwed up. No, but I mean, like, you don't have to do that much. The weight of this world does not actually rest on your shoulders. It's it's okay. Start really simple. It, it's kind of interesting because the first two things that I ran were a... a written adventure um 
out of the abyss uh, for for D and D five E, which I had a lot of fun with. Began basically ignoring about halfway through us playing it huge chunks of what was written because I'm like that's fucking boring and these characters are amazing and want to do this so that kind of helped me with that yeah that that was that point where I pivoted to no trust the players and people were having more fun doing that so that was one and then the other was getting someone into it by running my first homebrew which was literally just a variation on rats in the cellar of okay they're there they have this job something sketchy's up okay uh I'm just going to use these little like difficulty mods to make sure I don't murder people. And then they go down here and they, it was nothing. It was a one-on-one role play. They had a ton of fun and like, it was awesome. And so I think looking back on that now, I'm like, I wish I had been a little more gentle with myself up front and realized that, yeah, if everyone's having fun, who the fuck cares if you messed up a rule? No one, no one cares. Did it feel all right. Did it feel okay? Like um, in my variation on it, they discovered a secret passage and they were like Koatua in a river. And I don't know why I didn't think of this, but an NPC fell in the river that was helping the party. And I'm like, and I, the player was like, Oh shit, what's happening to him? And I'm like, that's a real good question. I wonder what the hell are the, you know, D and D rules for someone in chain mail. Uh, they're sinking. How can I get them out? Uh, athletics check it was like <laughs> it felt good it felt right it, and i'm like i to this day actually i don't entirely know what the ruling should have been on that because there was a current and a grapple and I'm like but it doesn't it didn't matter it felt like there were stakes and it felt fun and it didn't kill anyone's enjoyment so yeah trust yourself trust the game trust your players and remember you're not trying to write the next great novel for a variety of reasons and if everyone's having fun that's it that's that's the point um so this is sort of the point when we normally turn to questions that people in the community have submitted before um a lot of these were submitted by monty on discord who was really 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 waiting for this episode um they've been pestering me about this a lot um i don't mean that in a bad way just like they were like hey you're gonna talk about dming stuff um so i'm looking forward to this um i know they don't get to watch it live um but looking forward to this anything you wish you knew when you first started gming eight people's too many We'll start there. Yep, that's a good that's a good place to start. Four players, maybe five. I've done a max of seven kids, and that was Oof. way too kids. much. Seven of them. Yeah. I was forced to against my will. So <laughs> ominous. It, it was a school club. I capped it at five, and they made me accept more children. That uh. was why. <laughs> I was like, this is getting very, this is getting dark, Rachel. Wait, so the question was, what do we, something we wish we knew when we started? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, yeah, having, having a concept of other DMs out there was not even a thought (laughs) in my head when I first started. I was very alone and I read the books all by myself and I imagined what I thought a DM should do. Um, I, I wish, well, and honestly, I'm so old that it, yeah, there weren't a lot of, you know, there was no YouTube. There was no, when I first started, there was nothing for me. Um, but now, uh, I, you know, the idea that there are other people out there who are questioning and wrestling with stuff and, and even just people talking tonight like this, um, it's, it's super helpful, super helpful. I think we've kind of already covered what I wish I'd known. 
um, I think I drew a lot of information from those GM tips uh, videos because I didn't have, I didn't know a lot of people who were DMing campaigns. Um, I knew Andy already, but we weren't, I don't think helpful goats had really entered the scene, at least not from my perspective. And so I didn't really know that this existed. And the only other like points of reference I had were like Griffin McElroy and, you know, um, Matt Mercer. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I think kind of parroting Andy, I don't know if it's something I wish I'd known so much as where I got my knowledge was all from those geek and sundry videos, um, which was really helpful for me. I don't, I can't think of something that I'm like, and then I learned that outside of like, pare it down, fewer people, smaller scale, it's less information, plan less than you think, or more, depending on what your style is. Apparently Andy should have planned more. Full improv, (laughs) nothing written down. I look at that and I'm just like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think for me, obviously a lot of the things that we've touched on have been things that I wish I knew before I started um, or that I'd kept in mind, but, and I've, I've touched on this a little bit, but I think that a little bit of what I wish I'd known when I first started was the, the sort of party's law of, if you haven't named an NPC, they're going to ask their name. If you have a throwaway description of a room and the only important part is there's a bookcase, blah, blah, blah. They're going to spend their entire goddamn time trying to figure out where the secret door is in the bureau. There's no secret door in the bureau. It it wasn't there. And then, but all of those rules to me then flowed back into, okay, what was, what was the, the shelf for? Oh, it was to open a secret door. Okay, fine. There's a secret door in the bureau. I don't give a shit. I just need a secret door to happen. Like that keeps the story moving and reward them for looking at what they want to look at. Be comfortable with sometimes the names are shit when you make them up on the spot. It's fine. It can actually be kind of funny. Like the player. And that's the thing that I say also loops back to where I got to in my philosophy. If everyone is laughing about it and it's sort of all it's like, yeah, this is funny. Everyone's having fun. Like, I, you know, I bring I brought up the story with regard to the name Corin, and it's like, I don't look at that and think, Jesus Christ, what a failure of Andy DMing. But I'm like, this was just hilarious to me because I, as a player in that moment, was so confused. And then as soon as I said that to Andy afterwards, and he was like, oh shit, we just both started cracking up. Because it was like, oh, oh, we had we had a we had a mistake. Okay, we need to think about how do we how do we make this okay going forward? But it's like, but that wasn't anything bad. I look back on that as a fond memory of playing. So I'm like, yeah, so that's that's all the point. Just it's okay, relax, breathe, simplify it. Do not try to voice 28 people simultaneously. (laughs) (laughs) I have literally nothing to add. You like we've all we've covered all of it for sure. Um, to be in Discord, what is the most fun aspect of being a DM for you? I love when your players start putting shit together and seeing the bigger picture. Because in any campaign, there's always, like, as a GM, you kind of have to be 
a big one one bigger picture frame ahead of your campaign, right? So even if you've got level 15 people, like you have to be thinking about their level 17 like goals, right? In terms of not necessarily exactly like that, but more of like, you know, I have to know like where things are going in a way that players don't. And so when they start piecing it together, no matter where they are in a campaign, when they start to see that how the puzzle pieces are fitting and where like what they thought they understood well, they actually maybe are missing a lot of puzzle pieces in that section and they just couldn't see that part, you know? Like those moments when like they're kind of having the dawning realizations as a party, um, they get some critical clue uh, that kind of starts to tie things together and like people like just start talking over each other to figure it out. Like that to me is just like such a great moment as a GM to like just sit there and be like, yes, speculate. <laughs> um, it's uh, and, and rewarding to see see like the efforts that you've made in and put into creating a story that's compelling. Um, so like your end of the collaborative storytelling kind of coming to fruition in those moments is really cool. Yeah. I think that I really love seeing, and, and this might be a thing of more playing with kids or playing with new players, but I really love seeing them grow like from kind of you know just following along with exactly what you say and and like you know following along the railroaded story or whatever to like coming up with their own theories and ways to get out of things and things to do like i really love being surprised by my players like where it's like okay here is this you know here is this problem that you need to solve and i think in my head like here's the handful of ways that they can solve it and then they do something completely wild, but explain it really well and have all these amazing like reasonings for it. It's like, fuck yeah, you do that. Like, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. And I really like seeing them. It's really fun to see them be creative and also just, um, you know, it kind of helps direct the story in kind of different ways. And it, it's kind of fun to just think, like, I've seen the thing where it's just like, uh, create a puzzle and don't come up with a solution just wait until you like what your players say basically like until the players say something that you're like no that sounds good you solved it you know like <laughs> don't don't have a solution in mind just kind of like enjoy uh you know them figuring it out and i just really like seeing them be creative and like they surprise me and that's one of the the most fun parts of it for me yeah uh, those are such great answers i don't I, I agree a hundred percent. Those are absolutely my favorite things. I uh, just a little, a little thing that just makes me smile is like, and this is the sort of puckish nature, I guess, of me as a DM. When <laughs> when I take something in a character's backstory in a different way than they sort of perceived it going, perhaps right away. Um, like Burbage's mom or something. Uh, he told me, yeah, he, he didn't give me any sort of information about his mom or his dad. He just sort of came from a family in this town. And I made her a very sort of, uh, yeah, just a, a whole character about, uh, that wasn't necessarily in Adam's mind at first. And then we just sort of took it off together. Uh, or honestly, uh, Gull one of my favorite moments as a DM was, working with Galway when I absolutely ruined his initial character. He was, he was a, a warlock and I had his patron turn on him. 
<laughs> basically, or not on him, but on on something I knew Galway probably wouldn't go for. And there was an amazing uh, uh, amount of then tension between the character and their and their patron, which is which is a very risky sort of thing to throw in there. Uh, but to Galway's credit, he he then was like, "Cool, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm going in this new direction. Let's we're we are this now." Um, so yeah, so just th- those those <laughs> moments that totally shift the character from what maybe the character or the uh, the actor was thinking they were going to go with it. Uh, are super super fun moments i think for me again obviously i I agree with everything that everyone said those are all amazing perks of being a dm and i was trying to think about this and maybe it also applies a little bit similarly to what rachel was saying with uh maybe it applies mostly to new players but i think it always i think it's always there i love seeing the moment when when a player realizes that they aren't bounded by things the way you are in a video game or the way you are in most board games. I love the moment when the player asks me, can I do this? And it's batshit crazy, but it also makes total sense within the structure of the world of like, yeah, okay, you're big and strong and I said that and yeah, like and usually it's from picking up on details or description that I was just kind of throwing out there. I had a player where like I was describing a dungeon and I was like, yeah, it's uh, like crumbling stonework and blah 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 and they were druid and they're like, "Can I turn into a giant hyena and charge the archway to we can't unlock the door. Can I just bring down the thing around the door?" And I'm like, "I Yeah. Yeah, why not? I that yeah. Sure. And, and I mean, this also does skip ahead a little bit to the question on like the rule of cool versus rules learning. And I'm like, but it makes sense. Yeah, you're big and strong. It's going to be fucking hard. And I'm like, and by the way, loose stone goes somewhere. Probably you from a height. It's going to hurt. But but I love seeing both for people who are new and are used to maybe more video games or more, you know, bounded tabletop games. It's like, oh, shit. It's not. I can do this thing and this thing. It's like, yeah, just talk to the DM. It's why I think my first piece of it, but the first thing I usually say to players is I do not require you to know a single one of what these abilities mean. Ask me what you want to do. Describe to me what you want to do. Yep. I will tell you if you can, and you probably can, and I'll tell you what to roll. If you're very new, I'll also probably tell you if they're going to be awful consequences of doing that. <laughs> like I had a player who was very, very new and they're like, yeah, can I jump across this? I'm like, Yes, that would be an acrobatics roll in this case because of the way you're trying to grapple it. That's like an 80-foot drop. If you don't make it, you will probably die. But yes, you can. But, you know, it's like, and I, I love that. I love that moment of, oh, shit, I can do this. And even with newer players, it ha- or with more experienced players, it happens when they see suddenly a solution, very much to what you were saying, Elise. Maybe it's a storyline solution, or maybe it's a combat thing, or it's like, wait, can I do that, 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 that? And I'm like, yeah, awesome, cool. Let's feed that because... That's so fun. Yeah. I love, like, anytime you're watching, like, live play or you're playing yourself, whenever somebody leads with, like, this might be too crazy, but it's like, yeah, all right. right, let's go, let's go, like, let's go, you know, no, just we've, buckle in. we've just found just, crazy yeah. enough. And, and I love that because exactly what you're saying, Galway, of, like, sometimes players, like, make those decisions and it involves, you know, like, um, in 
uh, Dimension 20 Fantasy High, which is another live action live play that I absolutely love. Um, and one of the one of the people like is like, can I use my ribbon? She's like uh, her character. Their character is a ribbon dancer, and they were like, can I use my ribbon to like parachute out the window? And Brennan was like you can roll what do you think you have to roll to fall like four stories and use a ribbon as a parachute you know like <laughs> you think, and if you say a 14 i'll let you i'll let you do it on a 14 but keep in mind what i have to say yes to forever from now on out if i say yes to this you know and it's just like <laughs> it's like yeah you can jump out the window like you can you can do that you can sail off you know a cliff and turn into a goldfish and splat on some, you know, like these are, right. you can do it. And sometimes it pays off and you're like flying through the air and like grappling people out, flying monsters and dispelling teleport spells. And sometimes you smash into rocks at the bottom of a cliff and die. And like, that's the fun of the game for sure. Yeah. No, and that's that, that's that, that, that moment of when everyone at the table suddenly, and I, and I especially love it. And I think everyone kind of talked about it, like with personal growth, with all this, when the table starts doing that as a, as a whole and like when people start riffing off of each other's ideas and it's like, Oh, Oh, but you could do this. And remember I have this thing. And it's like the, you know, like sometimes we talk about table talk or we talk about metagaming. I'm like, but some element of that is also part of the fun. You're playing with your friends and you're playing collaboratively with everyone. And I love it when it's like, Oh shit, you're going to jump out. Wait, this. And it's like, yeah, sure do it because you're supporting each other doing something absolutely crazy but really fucking cool that's great um all right uh so it's about eight o'clock here uh, mountain time so i think we'll take like a five minute break um let everyone stretch uh walk around maintain your fluid levels um very important um as andy would put it moisture levels if you're in the world of spire important for the healthy development of the clutch um I'll let you take that statement however you wish to. Um, But yeah, we will be back in just about five minutes. So everybody uh, have fun. Go get a drink. Grab a snack. We'll be right back. Can you hear us now? Yes, you should be able to hear us. I can see sound (laughs) feedback. Yeah, I was just commenting that... uh, Hey, chat! Hey, chat! Anybody else need to tell us that it's muted? Anyone? Can anyone else in the chat tell us that it's muted? Wow, Elise is ready to fucking throw down with chat. It just cracks me up. I'm sorry. I don't listen to chat unless eight of them at least say the same thing. So. Eight people tell us it's muted, and then we know. <laughs> but Elise is, but, but, but by the way, chat, Elise hey, is chat, ready to throw can down. Can everybody go ahead and let us know that uh, we're back? Can I need a, nine, nine people on that? <laughs> Somebody know. needs to get this woman Thanks, under Adam. control. <laughs> Yeah. You know Christ. what? Hormones are everything, right? <laughs> All right She's just really bossy. To... <laughs> I'm just going to click to the next question. Um, and then also do the disclaimer of, sorry, I completely had forgotten to change out the under title card, which I normally do. Uh, all of my time between uh, work and starting this was spent uh, formatting questions, and I completely just dropped the ball on that one. Sorry, everybody. Um, but yeah, so we, we, we discussed our favorite parts. We discussed things that we wished we knew about GMing before we got into this. Um, and we discussed some of the things that we've learned along the way. Uh, Monty asked in Discord, what's our campaign and session planning process and how do we find time to do it? (laughs) I just like how everyone's like, hmm. Second part of that question is an unhealthy answer. Uh, I just care more about this stuff than most of my life 
and so I spend a good, uh, an inordinate amount of time on it. Like, uh, yeah. I, I just happen to have the summer off, too, because I'm a professor, but the, it's, I'd like to say that my schedule is different during the year, and it's it's not really. It's not. I quickly grade my papers so that I can go back to D&D planning. Ooh, not like, telling. you know, not, I'm not. It's okay. Grades are worthless, so it's fine. I'm not doing a bad job at it. I'm just. He just kind of throws the, pa- the pages into random buckets. There's only so many papers you can read before they're all the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also true. Um, yeah, yeah, but the first part of the question is, a, is, is more interesting. Um, so who wants to take that? I think that we can all say that, uh, how do you find time to do it? Uh, my answer is less sleep. Um, again, like not healthy. Unhealthy. I do not recommend, <laughs> but, uh, especially where, where I am, like I said, like even frankly, it, this is a kind of funny question to hit upon right as I noticed that, or like, and Sam had pointed out to me that I didn't change that sub bar where it's like, um, yeah, because between like the, the full-time job and then doing these things, uh, sometimes stuff gets written at one in the morning. Sometimes stuff gets written at four thirty before we get on. I'd, I think I shared it with Sam all the maps from, uh, your last, y'all's last session of Montreal. Yeah. Those all occurred like that afternoon. It's just like, do, 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 gonna I do most spire planning on Thursday. <laughs> I'm like, I have time because I'm looking for a job right now and it's quarantine. So <laughs> my time is kind of wide open, but I tend to like still procrastinate it. Fun. But it's, you know, I think that's one of the things about GMing too, is that like after a while it does take less time than it does at the beginning. Like at, at first, I think I spent a lot more time planning sessions than I do now. Um, <clears throat> now I kind of like, you know, for things like Spire, because Inspire, y'all are splitting the party every direction and there's, you know, so I basically like, I can anticipate like, okay, I have to have something for each one of these encounters, but I don't have to have much because for the same reasons as discussed earlier, like I don't have to write full scenes, right? I just have to have kind of like, who's involved in the situation? What are their motivations? What do they want out of this? And let the rest kind of play out as the players kind of put it in the world and also rolling with anything that happens along the way, right? Like um, laxatives being put in tea at a huge rate and then served to guards, right? Like that wasn't in my notes. And that's kind of the joke, right? Is that like, that was like the guards and like the the first spire, anyone who was watching spire last Thursday, like that was like supposed to be, in my notes, it's like a line. And then I have like three pages of notes of just like, okay, here's what Barnabas is going to do when he gets to the gardens. And here's what, you know, we spent the whole fucking session on it. So like planning is a joke when you're a GM. Um, <laughs> planning is a lie. Planning yeah. is a lie. I know, I know, Sam, I gave you the laxatives. I, and uh, that's <laughs> part of the fun of this game too. And like one of my favorite things, right, is like, you got to give players cool stuff, right? You have to give them tools. And sometimes tools they aren't expecting, like the laxatives, right? Or in D&D, like more than Inspire, because Spire doesn't have a whole lot of magical tools. But in D&D, like you give someone a magical weapon or a wand and they're going to fucking play with it, right? And so like you have to be ready for like those moments of like, and then I use the wand of smiles on this person. It's like, right. okay, well, now we're doing that, you know, so. Arguably so uh, Oh, sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say, on the note of you've given someone an item and then they're going to use it. I was again just I was thinking of uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist as like 
four sessions before the end, Squirm had gotten the Necklace of Fireballs as evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that final battle is just like, hey, I have a solution. <laughs> what were you going to say, Rachel? Oh, um, just in planning process and finding time, I am in the same boat as Lise, where I am not working, and it's quarantine. So it was a heck of a lot easier to plan sessions when I had a lot of time and I could just write them out. Uh, when I was working full-time, it was really hard because a lot of us here are teachers and there's a lot of planning and grading and other things that go into it. So I'm already, you know, at work the full regular full-time and then I'm doing work at home for a lot of that and then finding time to fit this in you know it didn't get planned out as much when i was working full-time to be totally honest and that's fine they still had fun but like while i wasn't working i was able to plan out things a lot more in depth and i actually pre-quarantine i would meet up with elise a lot at uh, uh coffee shops and she would work on something and i would work on planning and i would literally be in the coffee shop with like my laptop and like four D D books around me spread out and i would just like run a puzzle by her or something or ask her what she thought of a thing and so that was kind of nice too to just be out in a space and being able to work things off of people it's and just, remember oh, when we used to go to places i do <laughs> we could be in spaces <laughs> i know nice? oh it was so nice someday i miss it i miss the public spaces um but also so I'm going to bet that I'm weird when it comes to planning my D&D campaigns in a way that nobody else here is, but I'm going to share that with you so that you can know that everybody plans differently. So when I planned, I've, I've played like I played a one shot for adults recently and, um, you know, I kind of just did the bare bones plan like everybody's kind of talked about. But when I planned for kids. They're insane, you know, and they're all over the place and they're whatever and this. And so I legitimately, when I plan, I write myself a script. Every single single thing that I say is written out like a narrator. I write out the script. I write out the dialogue. I start, I mean, obviously I don't write out the conversations because I don't know what they're going to say to me. But I write out the descriptions of like what they, like every single thing. It's like the narrator in a story writing it out. And I read it verbatim because that's how it works best for me to like, keep all the interesting things in my head and not lose it all you know we're like it's really easy to be like yeah i thought up this cool thing i forgot to say any of it when we were actually doing it so i just write out a full script like i literally just write out and then as i go through it i highlight it so i have a doc that's the entirety of our campaign but um it's the entirety of our campaign but i can go back and see literally everything that i said <laughs> and that works really well for the way that my brain works so Basically, right. anybody yeah. can do it any way they want. That's just, yeah. like, I yeah. just really like to have, like, this is exactly what you were saying. You can't get distracted. You can't, because I get distracted real easily. If you haven't been able to tell, the fact that I've been looking at, like, everywhere but the camera, <laughs> as other people have been talking. I've been, like, fucking solving a Rubik's Cube. I'm, like, talking in chat. It's just, it's fine. But, like, having a script, <laughs> I know I already said this, it's fine. Uh, having a script really helps me to be like, this is what you are doing, and this is what you are saying, and this is what they are seeing. And it kind of helps keep us all on track, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really <laughs> that's interesting. So, um, so I, I plan, um, I, I, yeah, I plan, 
I plan world events, big, uh, big encounters that I know the group is sort of leaning toward. I plan that out like well in advance, like, which means I I don't then have a lot of like uh, encounter planning to do uh, close to the sessions so that that then I actually do something kind of similar to to Rachel there. I start to then fine tune what's coming up in this session. Um, And my workflow for that has been basically let me get the music first. So Roll20 has been really cool about uh, being able to add music. Um, so I, I really spend a decent amount of time on that. Um, and then I get, uh, I write out a script for certain descriptions of things. Um, because, because that's something that very easily goes out of my head. Like, oh, you come across a prison. It looks like a prison that's my improv of that. That's and that's terrible. So, I write out very specific details about what's going on. What does it smell like? What does it sound like? Those sort of things I personally need to kind of write out to make sure that I, I, I get description out there and not just try to improv that. Um, uh, and then and then and yeah. So th- that stuff takes a lot of time, and the encounter planning for the future takes a lot of time. Um, and then, and then, very close to the session itself, I I just sort of let it simmer in the back of my head, um, and and to me that feels I prepare then for the improv of what's about to happen, if that makes sense. So, like, I make sure that I have a little bit of caffeine earlier in the day, but not right before the session. I make sure that I don't, you know. And then there's like performative things, like don't drink a lot of pop right before you're going to speak a lot. Um, nothing carbonated, you know, because that, that sort of messes up your, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I do a lot of that in the session planning stuff too. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if any made that made sense. No, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, for me, it's very tied to the documents that I prepare and sort of the way that I gather information. And I, I earlier made reference to the fact that I've, learn to pare down, simplify, streamline, and to understand that saying to players sometimes, hey, this is important, isn't railroading. It's just making sure that they know, hey, this is an important thing that's happening and that that's that's really different. I'm not forcing them to do anything with it. It's just like, you need to know this. You could be like, cool, still going to go open a tavern. All right, you're going to go open a tavern. But, um, so... But I still have a lot of that detail built out several layers down, and the way my brain works, it, it I generally keep it in um, spreadsheets, uh, Google Sheets, because then it's really easy to cross-reference stuff. But like, I like thinking in databases. I've done it professionally, and like, it just makes a ton of sense to me. Be like, oh, here's this item, and then I have another piece where I describe the item in detail, and I know how to flip between those. And the way that the system that I've set up um, generally is I actually kind of keep three columns. The leftmost column, the first column, is just the description. They're going to, you see a, you know, sort of dirty, dusty country road. The trees are swaying slightly in the breeze and it's late evening, blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of level of stuff. The stuff that you're going to hit no matter what. I keep checks in the second column. So... If there's a something, you'll notice something on a DC 13 
or above perception check. It's in that second column. And then the follow-on stuff is in the third column because that makes it really easy for me of none of the players looked for this. Okay, I'm just still going down. Oh, the players absolutely looked for this. I go over here, and then similarly, I build out the sort of conditionals of, um, for example, my um, my spreadsheet for the last Moon Tree Isle had an entire separate headered section of in the basement. So if y'all were going to go in the basement, it was a relatively robust perception check to notice it. Like I was like, yeah, I'm okay with. It. They may just not get here. That's fine. <laughs> so I separate those out, and that's a lot of what I try to do. Is I just try to make myself feel really comfortable with at a basic level. This is what I want to be able to present to them, and I think that that's also one of those things of trusting myself and relaxing. Like, yeah, I've got it. It's there. It'll be okay. Um, Can I also, uh, sorry, were you done? No, no, yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say, like, we've talked a lot about, like, planning campaigns, but I know Monty at least mentioned, like, one-shots and, like, small, like, rules light systems, which I've run quite a few of, and I wanted to point out, like, when planning those, either one-shots in D&D or one-shots like Honey Heist and Mm -hmm. Big Gateworks, uh, which we're doing Big Queer Works, right, this Friday? Yes. Yay. And uh, those those are very different in terms of planning, um, especially when I'm just, like, you know, in the before times, right, when we could do this. Like, sometimes you just call people up and you're like, do you want to come play a game on saturday you know and like you get like four people interested um i would just like pick a system because i have a bunch of those like little rules like one shots like single Mm -hmm. sheets um and it's like those especially the ones that um written by grant howitt are those are are, like they set everything up for you and Mm -hmm. they're written so that you can just start it in like the moment, which I've done before. Like one time <laughs> I got my parents to play Honey Heist. I had no expectation that they would go for it, but they were visiting and like we had been working in the yard all day. And I was like, do you guys want to play a game where you play as some bears trying to like break some honey out? Like it's a, like a con movie. And they're like, yeah, that sounds fun. I'm like, great. It's a role-playing game. You're going to roll dice. And they were like, what? And I was like, here's a map. <laughs> I win. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It was fucking awesome. Like I, there was this hilarious like through line of like, my dad wanted to blow everything up with C4 and my mom was like, you can't just do that. And it was just this, you know, it was great. And like, we literally planned it like in the moment, like I pulled up the sheet and I was like, all right, give me five minutes. And I made some notes and we went. Um, Right. In my birthday last year, I was with you and Sarah and Mm -hmm. we decided to play honey heist and Sarah literally planned it in 30 minutes yeah and then we played a game with her yeah and it's great and like you don't have to plan one shots that way i have another like <clears throat> dnd one shots that i've put a lot of thought and effort into planning and creating character sheets for and like getting everything kind of perfect perfectly lined up and, and whatever and like that took a lot more time and effort um and has been a lot of fun and the benefit of that side of things like that much more planned out well-created one is you can play it again and again and again with other groups, um, which I found to be really fun too. So one shots are like a very different planning process for me, especially like rules light ones where you can just be like, all right, well, we're just going to dive in and like do this together. And like with those, you know, the vast majority of stuff that happens is just kind of nonsense um, because they're all kind of predicated on pretty silly things. But um, yeah, I think that's that bears kind of mentioning in the planning yeah. process. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's certainly true. And like my, 
I haven't run as many of them, but my experience with those sort of one-page RPGs is that, yeah, they generally set stuff up. They tee stuff up way more, they drop you in much more quickly, and they're the type of one-shot where it's like, yeah, weird, crazy stuff's going to happen, it's fine, we don't we don't need to think about it too much. And then I would kind of contrast that, I think, as you were, with some of my experience of GMing one-shots for streams, for example, they require much more planning in a lot of ways, because it's like, I got like four and a half hours and I got to get you to some kind of end. Like, you know, we cannot end this with, uh, yep, we're four and a half hours in. We need to end. Um, they're in the middle of the forest. Yeah. There's no, they never found the mountain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so like you sometimes do have to push through and there, there's a little more railroading, but that's a really good point. At least that's a really good point that campaigns, campaigns and sessions within them have a very different dynamic than a one shot. And like right. uh, Amberheart, with you all playing, I had to be really, really, really careful and precise with like two combats. That's it. One minor one, one boss fight, because combat takes a long time, and that's just what it is. And there's five yeah. players, so it's going to take even longer. And that's not what I primarily care about. So let's make sure we have enough time for the character in action. Thinking about that, but yeah, it, it needs to be a lot more careful. Um, Unless you, unless you have a bunch of people who are like, yeah, let's play for eight hours. Like, okay, cool. Um, I need to plug my computer in. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. People left and right. It's okay, fine. We got this. Uh, Monty again on Discord. Uh, how much? The yeah, this fairly related question. Oh, he like needs to do something to plug his computer in. I just kind of assumed he <laughs> needed to like reach down for a cord, not like leave the space of his computer. Um. How much of the story do you have planned ahead, and how much do you incorporate character decisions and development into a wider campaign? Um, I tend to think about it, personally, in terms of most of them have a, not an end point, like this is the ending and this must be the conclusion that we reach, but this is kind of a, a, a conclusion to this general storyline. I will often have some beats in the world, especially things that are important for the world, kind of what Andy was talking about with like, hey, there might be something that's big and important for the development of it. Um, But outside of those, honestly, my favorites are where I know this is where they start. This is about where they end. I kind of want these two important things for the world story to happen in between. Other than that, uh, let's see what they let's see what they give me. (laughs) Um, And like that's that's very much, for example, the approach that I'm taking in Moontree Isle. Yeah, I know there's a few things that I kind of want to happen because they're important for tier and they're important for overall the story. But otherwise, I, I want to let you all find your own character beats and character moments and things that are important. Yeah, with <clears throat> with Spire, it's kind of interesting because we definitely came into this expecting it to be a short campaign, which, you know, ha 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 ha. Yeah, like. Just, Four weeks ago, and Galway was like, how many more sessions do you think there is going to be in Spire? I'm like, oh, you know, they've only got three more days. How long can it be? And I was like, Tuesday was a month. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but but Spire was intended to be a short session and um, or a shorter campaign because we were just learning a system, right? Like, that was kind of the motivation of, like, starting up that campaign. So the story in terms of, you know, this kind of the impetus for the adventure right or for this particular adventure around the the building being torn down and the cracks in the floor right um that that has a very firm end date and i know everything 
to a degree, right? That is that could happen between now and then. I mean, obviously there's always room to be surprised and that's a different thing. But in terms of like planning the story, like I know what characters are in but on the other hand, and I can't say too much because yeah, some of yeah. you are inspired. Um, but uh there's also things that like there's entirely new things that I've added to the story because I'm like, actually, given what happened on Tuesday, on Friday, this person would do this thing, right? Like their actions have changed. The story has changed because of, you know, something that occurred on a different day. And yeah, you'll just have to wait and find out, Rachel. Wouldn't it be great if we were on Friday? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, and, and, uh, no. and, uh, but at the same time, like one of the great things about that campaign is like, as it's going, like, I've learned, like, first of all, I love this fucking system. It's great. And the, the, the world that is built for Spire is fun. And like the players, um, have done such a great job of kind of like doing the, the kind of sabotage fuckery, like putting laxatives and drinks and stuff. And, um, you know, and so I've, I've definitely been like putting in, ideas for like hooks for future stories if we wanted to keep going uh and that's really <clears throat> like and when it comes to how much of it do i have planned ahead like at this point it's like there's a lot of little hooks that they could choose to investigate and a few more that might be introduced right if we were to continue beyond kind of the the seven day span of like this is when the apartment building gets torn down so um <clears throat> you know there's definitely the potential for and a lot of that has been driven too by like character decisions. Like when Tyler, I, I've told this story to many people by now, but when Tyler like texted me, you know, a week in advance of the game and was like, Hey, I'm thinking of having my character Calvi be infected with the vis. Is that cool? And I was just like looking at my notes with like all this stuff about the vis. And I was like, mm hmm. Yep, that's going to change things, right? And it did, and it changed a lot. And like we've said many times, like this campaign would look radically different if he hadn't made that choice, right? But all these pieces would still be in place. Like I had planned that this would be a major part of the campaign before Tyler made that decision for Kelvy. Um, and so, but it's changed what's happened. So I guess there's like that kind of skeletal structure, which even even still might change a little bit, but that's mostly in place. And the rest of it is just kind of fleshed out by like, you know, character decisions. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that I've talked a little bit about it. I don't have nearly as in depth an answer as Elise, uh, because my campaign DMing has all been children and my um, and all of the th the ones I've done for adults have been one shots. So it's always a little bit different. Like everything I have done has been much more railroady just because that's how you work with kids, especially at the beginning. And that's how you do one shots because you can't plan a whole fucking open world for a one shot that would be insane i mean you can but that would be insane yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i incorporate character i generally have a, a large story overall that i do and then like how they get there can kind of change and influence it but like I personally haven't changed too much because I'm playing with kids. It's going to be different than if you're playing with adults who are much more able to, you know, think on the fly and have things change and do those kinds of things. 
Yeah, I yeah. So as far as planning ahead, I and the reason I kind of made that noise, Rachel, is is world building is just one of my favorite things, and I I love having something going on in the world that mostly whether the characters are there or not or what decisions they make generally doesn't even affect that. Like <laughs> characters don't change the world entirely with every single decision. The, uh, some stuff is just going to happen because they're not there to prevent it. Um, but uh, I, I absolutely love it when I have to completely rewrite <laughs> stuff because of major drastic decisions the characters make. Uh, Burbage deciding to give up the sword to not fight the dragon spoilers um is, how dare you it was like it, uh, sh- shifting of the story i had envisioned in my head uh entirely um th- I, there's just so many things that then were affected by that one choice and i i, I love it i never would want to to nullify that choice by going, oh yeah, he attacks you anyway, or you know, or something, or like, or like, oh, whatever happens, happens, no matter what. Um, so yeah, so so I personally love that world building and planning and just going on and like, hey, if the characters win in the end, this is what the world looks like. If the characters lose in the end, this is what it looks like. I I love writing all that out, which is why planning sometimes takes forever with me. Um. But I, I, I am also 100% willing to change based on what these people do, what they decide to do. I Early on in Fates of Rin, I didn't know if they were going to get distracted with uh, a war story. And, and not distracted, like, take that on as their main focus. Like, oh, shit, this war sucks. It's between these two nations. We need to prevent it or help it or whatever. Um, and then no, they sort of went on and did their more character things, which is awesome. That just means the war is still going on. Uh, and then in Dom and Dragons, I was able to go back to the war story that I had written <laughs> and go, oh, this is what's happening at the same time over there. Um, yeah, it's it's so much fun. Yeah, and I plan too far ahead too often because <laughs> I constantly change stuff. But I, But I love that part too. It's really, really fun to do that. Right, this one was from Tibby in Discord and is a much longer question. Uh, how do you keep a straight face when players read more into your comments or situations than there actually is? For example, an NPC makes an offhand comment that they interpret as suspicious and it sends their thinking in an entirely different direction than you had even considered. Do you ever change things based on their reactions? Um, one, there was a cat in the background of Rachel's screen, which is very important to highlight. Um, <laughs> two, uh, I think I've already... There's a cat of... in the back of Galway's screen, which is very important to highlight. <laughs> Three, oh, go no. ahead, Galway. Um, <laughs> we're not distractible with cats, not at all. Um, I, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, very good. Um, I, I think I've already alluded to this. Yeah, sometimes I will just, I will change things. I think I primarily change things when it's it's kind of similar to that idea that uh, Rachel alluded to, or that concept of have a puzzle, but that doesn't have a solution. Just when they say something that's good or it works or it sounds fun to you, go with that is now the solution. It's kind of similar. I'm like, okay, if they're looking for a hidden door and they're really, really, really investigating the room and they just happen to be looking at this piece of furniture that I wasn't expecting them to, does it really matter if it's the piece of furniture that I expected, was there a reason in the story like, oh, 
the passage in the book is hyper relevant. Okay, if it is, then maybe. But if it's not, it's like, hey, if I, yeah, you found you found the chapter. It's great. You know, it it doesn't really matter. And how do I keep a straight face when they read more? Um, on the first part of that, uh, I usually just don't. Um, honestly, I normally will just pretty openly be sort of laughing or chuckling along with them because I also generally find that whether it's justified or not, players always know when they have entered the paranoia zone. Like, maybe it is actually the monster that is trying to kill them, but I, in my experience with the group of people I've played with, and I'm, I'm very privileged to play with a great, very talented group of people, generally, um, they know when they're getting a little nuts with the, like, but is it actually a baby? Kind of thing where it's like, yes, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a baby. It's actually a baby. I insight check the baby. It, yeah, exactly. I've had someone say that. <laughs> it might be a dragon. Me. Like, I insight check the baby. I'm like, cool, it's a baby. Um, or in some moments, I insight check the baby, roll a fumble. All right. Now I'm messing <laughs> yeah, no, God. He's definitely a fucking demon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so I think that generally I just, I lean into it a little bit. If it's fun, if it's not distracting too much from the time, yeah, sure. Again, the point of the game is to have fun. Um, I will admit, too, I have occasionally said things that have absolutely sent people just the direct opposite direction, and it is a little bit hard. Sometimes I do... My general rule is if it's not a thing that the NPC has said, it's a thing that I as DM have said that has misled them, I will often correct that or clarify that. I'm like, that was a bad word to use. I didn't mean that. Let's just reframe that. If it's like, yeah, the character would have been like over there, and for some reason they don't fucking trust him, so they all run the opposite direction. Neat. We see where this goes. <laughs> right. When there are like uh, mistakes a little bit like that in, in something either I've said or a little bit of a... Uh, a mistake on their part for th- uh, perceiving something. I-, I don't mind every once in a while saying, actually, you would know this mm. aspect, or you would think that because they said it like this, that it might mean this or something like that. I don't mind making those leaps sometime for them when it's literally just a like a language issue. There's been a miscommunication like, or something like that has happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cause because like that it's it's fun to be diverted sometimes and go off on side quests. If it's done only because they misheard something, that doesn't really become a ton of fun for anyone really involved. Cause then the players don't think they're doing a lot. My dog is really scratching at the door. Hi. <laughs> I, I struggle with keeping a straight face, but also like, um, I actually struggle more with keeping a straight face when they're like on to things because I get excited. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when they're like, <laughs> but I had uh, in, in one of my previous campaigns with some friends uh, that we played in person um, there, there was like, they were convinced that like a Smith in the town who happened, like there was like a town hall meeting and he happened to kind of be like the voice, the representative of the people who were like opposing something that they were like proponents of. And of course, yeah. like that was just because he was a douchebag, right? He, there was nothing else, but they were like, we're going to follow him tonight. Right. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. and like, and it's like there, you know, there's only so much you can do after like, if they've insight checked and you're like, yeah, 
he's just a dude. <laughs> like, um, I feel like a lot of times when they're on like completely the wrong track, there comes a critical point where they roll something or they encounter something or they're like, I'm going to sneak and follow this person. And they sneak and follow the person. I'm like, he went to bed. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. that they're like, oh, oh, okay. So the Smith was really just a, a bad person. He's just a greedy asshole. I'm like, yes, yeah. he's not in league with the demons. He's just a greedy asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, that's just, I think, some of the fun. Like, it can definitely derail things. And I think that um, as a GM, I have certainly at times been like, I'm just going to stop you here. He's just a greedy asshole because we really need to focus on whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. um, especially for games that, like, have... More limit. concrete time limits and endpoints. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes you just kind of say, like, I'm gonna go ahead and like prevent a 45-minute detour and let you know <laughs> <laughs> this asshole is just an asshole. Um, I don't do that often because I think it's more fun to let players kind of like explore those things and but it's also But you don't want to punish them for it. <laughs> right. right. And as for like, do I ever change things based on those things? Not often, but I have um like another good piece of advice that I got from those videos early on was like build modular encounters. So basically like if you could like pick up this encounter and put it here instead, that's really helpful for keeping a campaign on track because if they go the complete opposite direction and your encounter is modular in the sense that it's not tied to an exact point of in time and, and space, then you can just move it to over here and have it happen there instead. And obviously some encounters, you can't do that. And it would be, I think, bad GMing to lean into like entirely only modular encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, but having some of your key things, especially if they don't have a very strong sense of where to go next or like who to talk to next, having some of those things be modular, like you overhear a conversation on the street, that can happen at a cafe, it can happen during travel, like those things you just kind of slot in where the players are. Um, And occasionally, based on their kind of like very suspicious, like, are you sure he's not in league with the demons? Like uh, you can kind of modular in something and be like, okay, well, it was supposed to be that NPC, but it looks like they're never going to even talk to that person so now it's this one you know (laughs) yeah not often but occasionally and i do that a lot with information i was gonna say that's something i i I tend to have some generic encounters like combat if i'm like yeah let's let's get a padding in here or let's like you happen to have glided the last few encounters i want people to remember what their characters do in combat i'll tend to have some interchangeable ones and i do that a ton with information for that same thing of a oh, shit, they're they're totally never going to talk to this bartender who I just thought they were going to, and who was going to drop this really important point. Somebody else got to know that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, most of my experience comes with kids, and kids can be even more so than adults trying to make all of those connections and do like I told the story about how they had the interaction with the bridge troll, and they were just supposed to just supposed to answer his riddles and then fight him and move on. But instead they decided that they wanted to befriend him and flirt with him. And so I had to try and make up a reason for him to try and like not be there anymore so they could move on. So I made up a boss on the spot named Tina. And then they were very like, I want to meet Tina. And now they're convinced that Tina is actually the Oni that they had fought before that they're going to have to fight as their final thing. And it's just like, they're just like, I know Tina's the Oni. And I'm just like, Tina's not the fucking Oni. Tina Fine, doesn't exist. Like, Tina didn't exist right, yeah, three Tina's minutes ago. Tina's not real. <laughs> <laughs> this and, poor like, troll just trying to get out like, of this conversation. We, we came back from a thing, and one of them literally drew a picture, and she was like, I saw Tina in my dreams, and this is what she looked like. And I'm like, all right, calm down. Um, <laughs> nice. But, like, 
but <laughs> you know there are times where they say things i'm like oh it's actually a really good idea yeah i'm gonna go with that and there are other times where they just want to follow tina and i'm just like nope so there, well there's one it was one that really that really wanted to go back for tina and the good thing with kids is and less so with adults but you can do it if they're again if they're new players um is to just explain to them the consequences of their action. If you abandon your party and go back to do this thing, there will be consequences. You know, like it won't just be like, yeah, sure, you'll show up again and everything will be fine. Like there will be major consequences and there will be rifts in your relationships and all of these kinds of things. And so, but I know that that's not as big of a thing with regular it's okay. adults. It's, it's okay to kind of like, pull a question that I think ties in really well here from mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Monty's questions of what can players do to support their GM and to improve the game for everyone. That is something players can do sometimes. Like, I don't think that players should have to really worry about like, how is the GM's experience? Right. I mean, outside of like, don't be an asshole. Right. Um, but not in terms of like, don't play your character different based on what you think I want you to do. Like that's, right. that's important to me. But on the other hand, like if I have something like clearly planned out and like created and like kind of laying the path for you like there's a reason for that and being you know and so that kind of like you know there's there's like the stereotypes of like bad players and and i think one that we all sometimes lean into a little bit more than some of the others is like the the kind of chaotic well i'm gonna go check in on this other thing over there and it's like yeah i didn't really have anything planned for that so now i have to like just you know fly put this on the fly and all my hard work is just being kind of set to the side and when it's not plot relevant to that as a gm can sometimes be really frustrating and so um I don't know. I'm not sure what exactly I want you to take from that because I think players should have the freedom to do what they want to do. Right. Um, but also like trusting a GM when they say something like, I'm just going to stop you there. That guy's just an asshole. Like he's not in league with the demons. Like you can spend, we can say your character spent three hours figuring that out, but for the sake of the game, can we move on? Um, that's right. not in the because, interest of brevity. I've said that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I feel <laughs> like that's not, that's not because I, as a GM want to like stamp out your potential for right. having fun. It's because I want you to, I want, you to see what I've created for you and play in the world that I actually have ready instead of me being like constantly tripping over my feet for you um, and and not really creating the best experience for anybody. And sometimes that happens anyway, and that's still fun. But um, when it feels like it's detracting from the potential for the story to kind of like be explored, that's one thing I I think I really like it when players are like, they kind of see the metagame moment of like, okay, like I see that Elise really wants us to go here. We'll just go there. Like, on occasion that can be a, a really nice gift to your gm um yeah yeah, yeah and in in that it's sometimes nice it's it can be fun for them to be creative um but also not mind if you don't necessarily go anywhere with that so i did a one shot and my friend blair is like probably one of the better D players i have ever played with she is like super great at improv and thinks on her feet like that and is just like she's great uh and um we showed up in this small town uh which they had grown up in and hadn't been in in a while and so we showed up there and you know they were going to try and gather information and rather than like me laying it out for them where they go she just i'm like okay you show up here and she's like okay i immediately seek out the taffy shop that i of course used to internet and that i did this or that so let me go to my favorite taffy maker and you know pierre and do this or that so like it was kind of nice because she 
like even though I had created this world, she also like built her own little nook in it, you know, that then I could kind of like and I could either have chosen to be like, Yeah, you say hi, it's a nice meeting, here's this. But instead it could be like this whole loving interaction where he's so happy to see her and he gives her all this information and they find out all of these things and like, you know, so that was something that I had obviously not planned at all, but she brought about um, she brought it about just by like being creative and inserting that, but I also know her and that she wouldn't have minded if I didn't do anything with it, you know? Yeah. That's always, it's always really nice when the characters do a little bit of the DM work sometimes, you know, like, like uh, I, I'm totally comfortable with my players asking for checks every once in a while. Like, like really McKeck, do you really think that? And Going knows me enough to, to know, like, hey, Andy, can I ask for a in, like an insight roll into that to see how much I should be telling them stuff like that? I, I you know, that that takes a little bit of the work off the DM and lets the DM kind of sit back and because one of my favorite things too in this game is when I don't do anything. Sometimes <laughs> when when it's really just the players have taken my nugget of something I've given them and just go and play ball with it for a while, like that's just so that's the most fun part for me. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but, but that also takes a very experienced player to know, like, where's the line to, you know, and like, is this going to break the game? If I introduce a taffy shop or, you know, something <laughs> like this, like it, it does take a, a very experienced player to, to recognize when I can, I can do that. And when the GM's totally cool with it. And I think that the other thing I would say with that and sort of my answer to this question had been one of the biggest things is just as, as a player, um, wherever possible, try to read and be aware of everyone else at the table and what they're feeling about it. Because like, similarly to sort of your point, at least be aware when your DM is just like, Oh, please, for the love of Christ, (laughs) he's just an asshole. Like, it's fine. I get it. He's an asshole, but he's just an asshole. And you really need to find who's in league with the demon. So maybe move along. Similarly, like, yeah, you know, know that your GM's like, uh, I, and the way that I often think about this is as a DM, as a GM, I have goals. I want you all to go into this town and find out some information. And so if your friend was like, yeah, I have this taffy shop that blah, blah, blah. I'm like, was it supposed to be incredibly hard to find information? No? Cool. Let's riff with this. But that a lot of that comes from just reading and reacting to everyone that's going on. And similarly, I think also that feeling of, is this something that's really important to the other players? Like, hey, this like we've had some things where it was like, this is clearly really important to Burbage. Some of the scenes like in Die Field for example, where it's like, it's really important that he goes and has this conversation. And in my mind that like immediately switched to, okay, charity's job. And my job is eliminate all of the things that could make that harder by time in the fight, you know, by time in this, because that's just part of that reading and reacting and the collaborative part of it that I think makes this a really fun game. Uh, Oh yeah. This question. Uh, how do you convince people to play games other than Dungeons and Dragons, including one shot, one page TTRPGs? They're super fun, but no one believes me. This is coming from Monty. Apparently, <laughs> trick people. Me. <laughs> well, like I will say that I have mainly played these with Elise, uh, and we have played Honey Heist, and we played and 
so Trashkin. We played Trashkin, and my husband Eric is not a super big fan of um of these kinds of of any kind of like these TTRPGs because his strength is not improv and thinking on his feet and being witty quickly <laughs> and stuff like that. That's just not where it is, and he often feels on the spot and uncomfortable in needing to do that. But he played Trashkin with us, and um. He did really great because it, it was super easy. Like he had, you know, he was able, he didn't have to put in a shit ton of work to make a character. It's a dice roll. And he ended up being a pigeon that had a, like that could, that he carried a brick or something. I remember like yeah. he, he was a whole thing and he kind of just like, it was simple and easy enough that he could just follow and fall into it for that one time thing. And these are really fun because they give you a chance to be kind of crazy. Like, I was a goat and my special thing, I was a goat girl. And my special thing was that it was always my birthday, no matter what. It was just always my birthday. So I was like, I made it. So I was in a frilly birthday dress and like, I was just always like, I, hey, do you know, it's my birthday. You know, like that was such a, but it like it, it, they have these kinds of things that allow you to just be so kind of over the top ridiculous in a way that you wouldn't necessarily be in like your regular D and D campaign, because you want to go through and you want to, you know, have it be that you're part of this world and you're making it interesting and following along with the DM. But with these things, like when we played honey heist together, I kept ac- I, like, I scalped a little girl accidentally and there were no consequences because it's honey heist. And you're honey like, heist. it's fine. You know, I was trying to take a ribbon out of her hair for a Halloween costume. And I scalped her because I was a grizzly bear, you know, yeah, and it was a critical failure. It just happens. But, like, they, they, they allow you to have these, like, really crazy, weird moments that you wouldn't, like, usually have in any kind of game. And, like I said, Trashkin was, like, it was such a weird thing to be, like, a goat person or, you know, a pigeon person or a rat person or something and having to think of these different ways to go through them and like really embody those really weird characters, you know? So I think a lot of people, and maybe there are some people who just like D and D for the like straightforward, intense campaign, follow the story. But like, that ain't me. I think that that's good. And I enjoy that, but I also like the ridiculous over the top, like how much fun can we have in being and like, what is such a weird story that we can do, you know, to go along with this kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. generally how, I pitch it. I, I I never thought I would have to say, but uh, we here at Helpful Goat do not uh, suggest or condone the scalping of children, um, including if you are a bear attempting to remove a birthday ribbon from a little girl's hair. She had it coming. <laughs> yeah, if she, if she didn't want her to be scalped, was she, shouldn't she, in the she shouldn't have worn a ribbon. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, I've literally tricked, like I said, people into playing these things before. Um, I find that the best way to do it is to set up like a, well, okay, if it's your friends and they're already into RPGs, right? That's a different story. You do like the, hey, do you want to come over for games? Let's all have like everyone bring something to snack on and we'll spend, you know, maybe Saturday noon to five. Um, And then once everyone is like, oh yeah, I'll bring this, I'll bring that. Like, this is our little potluck. And then you're like, cool. I was thinking of playing something like Honey Heist. What do you think? Like, I'll set it all up and you guys just like, we'll roll characters when you get here. And like, then it's just happening, you know? Um, Or do like what I did to my parents and like pitch the game as if it's like a board game. And then they're like, sure. Yeah, we'll play that. And you're like, cool. Get your dice out. <laughs> um, that's, that's worked a couple times. Nice. Your parents brought their own dice. 
Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I was I was gonna say I was like, wait, the way you phrased this suggests yeah, to me this should like, not have been this hard. Had dice. No, I um that they brought with them for yard work. No. Yeah, for yard work. <laughs> for yard work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what, yes. That's how it works in my family. We vacation to do yard work and play <laughs> RPGs. Yeah, I go ahead, Eddie. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um honestly, probably the best way to get someone to play with you is to Offered a DM. Oh, nice. This was my Honey Heist character that Sarah drew, and his name was Louisiana Smith. Nice. And he was trying Shunk. to be Winnie the Pooh, and he had a. Fa- yeah, I kept making Wolverine noises every time I used my claws. Nice. So, and then he was trying to be Winnie the Pooh, so he had a little halter top, and. and yeah, it's great. So, those are the kind of fun things you can do. Sorry, Andy, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, which is kind of what I was going to say. Like, if you offer to run the game, that's like one of the biggest hurdles for anyone going into it is is they don't necessarily need it or can put the time into doing something like that. So if you set up the game, know the rules, can teach everyone the rules, that's a huge barrier to entry. If you can get over that, cool. Uh, the second one is, you know, just write like a little bit of something that gets gets a flavor going for the kind of story or the kind of RPG you want to tell. I literally just did this last night because I uh, am looking for people to run um, a a game of misspent youth on, on helpful goat coming up in July. Um, And you know, you could just go, Hey, who wants to play misspent youth with me, which is a game that probably no one else in our (laughs) discord has really heard of. Or I could just prepare a tiny little thing like, Hey, here's a little blurb of what we think is going on in this world. Uh, here's a here's the link to the download. Here's all all the little stuff that that you could wonder about right now. Um, then um, is I it something you might? I didn't uh, get that invite. Was that lost in the mail or? Okay, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it somewhere. And stuff. I asked you last night for a different game. This could be going. <laughs> I'm going to be going everything. <laughs> she is Legion. <laughs> but something like that, yeah. It really kind of it doesn't take a ton of effort on your part, but it does the little bit of of the flavor you can add to this just immediately kind of gets people's minds working on that. Um, and can be a really nice way to, to try to get them involved in something yeah. like that. Um, depending on uh, in the before times, uh, I would also say do not underestimate the power of food. Um, saying that you will provide food and other people bring snacks is a significant inducement to get people to gather in any location. Um, this is just a general truism of humanity. Uh Otherwise, yeah, I think that everyone has had really good points with it. Um, giving them a little bit of flavor. I also find that sometimes giving them um, what in writing would be comps as part of like the pitch for it can be really useful of what is the comparison. Uh, you know, and one of the things that I saw, uh, for example, in a game that I want to play in a different system called Blades in the Dark, they were going through and they're like, hey, Here's a list of things of different types of fiction with like books and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I love video and computer games. They're like, if you love Dishonored, Bloodborne, blah, blah, and they just sort of ran through it. I'm like, yep, must play now. Uh, yes, yes, Dishonored and Bloodborne. Yes, very yes. Um, and Dishonored also, is the best game. 
Sorry. And also, <laughs> um, I think I emphasized the other game in that pair, but, uh, but, uh, the other thing that they do is a lot of times the stories themselves will give you a really good line that kind of goes to Andy's point of like flavor. And in it, they're like, look, if you want to be a gang of criminals in a city where the gate to the other side is broken so anyone that dies becomes a ghost and the city is protected by entropic lightning fueled by the blood of demon whales, this is a good game for you. And I'm like, shit, that paints a picture. And yeah, I kind of want to play a game in that. That sounds fun. And so, yeah, like giving them something that's a little bit more than, hey, how about we play a TTRPG that isn't Dungeons and Dragons? Just phrase those like, hey, maybe we can just sit down, do a quick session. It'll be super quick. There's no barriers. Um, you'll just be rolling and I know all of it. It'll be cool. There's food. And also this, like, I can't remember when when Elise was like discussing, I think, the one shot for Honey Heist. And it was like, yeah, you're bears that are trying to steal honey from a place. And I'm like, I want that? I want that. <laughs> I, I need to see that. That feels suddenly very important in my life that I see that. <laughs> um, so I think that little things like that is very useful. Well, also, just with uh, with the types of characters they can play, too, not even necessarily just the world, because, like, part of what excited me about Spire was the idea of playing a carrion priest. Like, I literally get to be a cannibal that has a pet hyena. That's not a thing that you would really do in D&D. I mean, you could, but, like, there might be some complications and some other things. And, like, it's kind of neat to have, like... You know, maybe people don't want to play D&D because it's a lot of fighting and maybe like Spire is a lot more role play than it is fighting. So you could try and kind of like f- try and figure out what it is that they like and entice mm-hmm. them that way where it's like, um, you know, where if they didn't want to have to be worrying about fighting all the time, but really just wanted to do role play, then Spire is really great for that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's another good point that everyone's also kind of saying underneath all these is know what the strength of the thing that you're offering is and be sure to emphasize that to them because your bear's trying to steal honey and like okay this is not going to be serious i get that and it's you know and it's going to be very probably role play and problem solving and sort of lateral logic all of that sounds good to me like that sounds fun cool that gives me a sense of i would probably want to play this as opposed to something else where it's like hey this is a grim dark hyper realistic like i i'm not sure i need that in my life right now i'm not saying it's a bad game but it's just probably not for me and that that helps orient me to saying yes or no to something um we have a bunch of other questions but i think we'll also probably be doing another uh dm sort of round table uh with possibly these people uh possibly other people possibly just more people. Um, so I did want to skip, though, to one question uh, that Tibby had dropped in the Discord, which is probably totally illegible on this. And I'm not going to actually read the question verbatim because the last line of that question is, and please don't read this rambling mess of a question on stream, exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, however, Tibby was uh, referencing uh, in a previous session, I believe on the one that I didn't title bar from uh, i talked about the balance of damage between monsters and player characters in the design philosophy of wizards of the coast for dnd 5e monsters are designed to have lots of hit points and not do a lot of damage 
players are designed to have very little, very few hit points and do lots of damage. So kind of the balance of combat is this... uh, you're going to hurt it more than it's hurting you, but it can take a lot more than you can. And that's sort of the underlying tension of uh, 5e's combat system. Um, and in the theory behind balancing encounters and how Wizards of the Coast intended that balance to work, the idea of that is, while it's certainly an aspect of the game, it can even be a fun aspect of the game, in general, I would say within tabletop RPG spaces, players aren't super fond of having their characters killed, um, especially in every random encounter that they come across. This is this is not Bloodborne, where you die, it appears on the screen, and you come right back. You just lost that character. And if you've been playing for six months, that can be pretty significant. So... The way that this was designed was that there's that's kind of designed and intended as a check against the odds of random character death. A thing that I will say, and I won't say too much, because one of the topics that you all can vote on in the Discord, if you want to join the Discord, use the exclamation point Discord command, um, for a potential upcoming goat's eye view is on encounter building. But one of the things that you want to be very careful with in 5e is sometimes uh creatures have a particular challenge rating or a particular difficulty but that's because they behave more like a player character um they don't have as much hp but they hit real goddamn hard those things do not behave like the other characters kind of like a good way of checking that is just look at its attacks look at something else with the same challenge rating if it's rolling twice as many dice be real fucking careful because that is there specifically, and it is hard because it is specifically very able to kill characters. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's an undesirable thing, but know that you're using it. <laughs> yeah, there was like a, a piece of advice along those lines. Like, if you look at their max amount of damage they could do on a crit, and it would take a character to like zero HP from full in one hit rethink using that person right you know what spire is a different fucking beast. no i mean sometimes... i mean uh, last week's tear yeah, yeah, no she she means the fact that i electrocuted her that's not are, also yeah. also let's balance that that wouldn't have ko'd anyone else that's yeah. true I your poor little half burned cow man is not very beefy it's not like a guaranteed don't use that creature, right? right? right or that right. monster. More yeah, yeah. of like a be cautious if you could one hit your party with this with this creature, maybe don't use that particular creature. Yeah, and, um, and yeah. And that's certainly, for example, Will of the Wisps uh, have very little health. They have a very high AC and they hit like trucks. Um <laughs> they're meant to be sort of ambush predators because they can turn invisible and then they reappear. But they'll those would be an example of Generally, if you look in the book and you look at like, oh, here's a level three character, they're going to have probably about, what, 20 HP for most classes. You know, they're probably going to be able to output X amount of damage per round, probably at least a couple D6 plus a mod. Um, If you look at like the equivalent monster, general monster in the monster manual around there for that party, they're going to have... 80 plus HP, and they're probably still only doing like one or two D6 damage per round. And they almost certainly also have multi attacks so that you can direct it to different people. That's actually one of the 
purposes of multi-attack on lower level creatures is so you can be like i hit you once and you once and you once not i murder you dead um right so that's that's sort of the short answer to that the, the general philosophy is that creatures are beefier because they need to be able to absorb hits from four plus people but you also don't want them dropping one of them super quickly and elise's rule of thumb is a really good one and the other thing to remember is uh not to turn this entirely into an encounter building but just this was a very specific question and i wanted to get to it because a lot of work went into writing this question um always be cognizant of a a, a combat especially in D, which is very much about the action economy how many turns and how many actions each side gets as soon as you've downed someone that calculus has shifted um the other thing to remember is that calculus shifts a lot depending on who you drop. Uh, right. Weirdly, probably the encounter that we've had that was scariest for me of all of our encounters was still really early on in Fates of Rin with the Poisoner. Because I'm like, I'm going right. down. The mm. party is in a lot of trouble. The healer is down. <laughs> Healer down is not a good phrase to hear. And and so just always keep that in mind when you're looking at these encounter buildings, when you're looking at a monster, because uh, challenge rating is a really nice, to me, light way of going about setting up some difficulty. It's a useful tool, but not all CR3s are built the same. Not all CR3s do the same thing. Right. Um, so that's always worth keeping. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for watching tonight. Um, thank you so much to Elise. Rachel, Rachel's yeah. cat, and yeah. um, Elise's dog. Elise's dog, who yeah. I just didn't get to see as much. Mostly, it's no. just sort of been like a shark, a thing. tail or a little, yeah, yeah, like appearing, like. Oh, and there's a Mugen. The moth is inside the house now, so uh -oh. the moth is both, inside the house. They're both very, very alert right now. Yeah. Something's going to get knocked over. <laughs> Something's going to happen. Once again, from everyone here at Helpful Goat, thank you so much for watching. Take care. Be safe. Have a great night. Night, everyone. Good night. Oh, there's another cat. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed what you heard and want to hear more, check out our main podcast feed, Goats and Dragons, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. You can also learn more about our shared gaming projects at our website, HelpfulGoat.com. Follow us on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook at HelpfulGoat. And find us on YouTube by searching for Helpful Goat Gaming. And if you like what you hear, please do consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. We are a small, independent game design firm and would really appreciate the support. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>